Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, could the Hamilton Bulldogs end up playing somewhere else? The future of Hamilton City venues was discussed at council yesterday. And should the city and the Tiger Cats pursue the 2020 Grey Cup? The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Could the Hamilton Bulldogs be playing elsewhere? Now, I, I, we've gone down this road before, of course, when the Tiger Cats had to go to Guelph and play a season there. Uh, it was no good. Nobody liked that idea, but that's because they were building a new stadium on the same site. This is a different situation. This is a falling apart arena that may not even be suitable uh, in the near future if it continues to deteriorate. And it's all about making ice in the arena, which is rather important, I think, if you're going to play ice hockey, right? So what's going to happen here? And what, uh, what kind of pressure is this putting on Hamilton City Council? Scott Radley is the host of the Scott Radley Show and a columnist with the Hamilton Spectator. He joins us on the program to talk about this. Uh, what do you think, the Ontario Hockey Ball League? Scott, are you okay with that? <laughs> sure, why not? Let's have the field hockey, Ontario Field Hockey League. There we go. Uh, this is, I, I know we, 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 we joke about this, but this is serious stuff. Well, there's... Bill, this is not a new story. You know that. You've covered this longer than I have, longer than probably anybody has. Uh, what you have is an arena that, you know, when we talk about an arena that was built in the 80s, if you, if you had a house that was that age, we probably wouldn't, most people wouldn't be thinking, man, that's antiquated. I've got to tear down my house. It's from the 80s. I mean, we have houses that are 100 years old, more than that. But by arena standards, with the equipment that's involved and everything else, First Ontario Satterkoff's Coliseum is now antiquated. And what has happened is, over the years, as stuff breaks down, some of it's been fixed, some of it's been put off. You now end up with this situation where you've got escalators that don't work and elevators that need to be fixed and ice plants that need to be redone and HVACs, I don't know, whatever, all the other stuff. There's tens of millions of dollars in work that needs to be done in this place if it is going to be brought up to any kind of modern standards. The difficulty that comes from this is City Council to this point, this council and the previous one and the previous one before that, can't seem to decide or come to any kind of conclusion about whether they want to fix this arena up and make it good for what we are right now, or come up with some new downtown entertainment plan that might require a new arena to be built that may not be the same size, that may not be in exactly the same location, who knows. And so you wouldn't want to pour $30 million into an arena for two years or three years if it's just going to be torn down. So you're stuck in this limbo where there's no decisions being made, but stuff continues to wear out and wear down, and that's where you get these ideas of, okay, they are saying that with the ice plant that we are approaching end-of-life cycle for this. So something could happen, but what do we do? And nobody can at this point make a decision on what to do. Build new, tear down, rebuild, fix up, whatever. No one can decide. Yeah, and Brad Clark uh, from uh, Stony Creek, the councillor, uh, talked about this at the meeting yesterday. He's going to join us a little bit later on this hour uh, to give us his take on this. But when I, the story now about these these lines, about how they make the ice there, uh, I think Jack, all of a sudden Scott throws this onto the front burner. This is not like, I, I, you know, well, we should look into this. Yeah, we have to make this decision. They've been kicking this thing down the road for the last 10 years. Uh-huh. And, no, you're and, right. And, and it's urgent every time they go to do it, but then they just say, okay, let's put that report over there and we'll get down to it because we really can't afford to do this. Well, now because you're at the situation where this is, and, and you mentioned about the escalator. What was that, that broken for, what, three years yeah, before yeah. they could fix it? But this is, this is essential. This is going to be a non-functioning building 
as far as hockey is concerned if they don't do something about it. Now, now I know that the city workers are saying, oh, the chances of that happening are pretty slim. The fact that we're even talking about it is ridiculous. But it all goes back to the concept that you that we said a moment ago, and that is you have to have a plan. You have to have uh, someone, some group, at, at council, is going to have to decide, and quickly now, about what the future of this area is. And the ongoing indecision, and as you say, kicking it down the road, has only led to this issue. I don't necessarily blame the current group that is sitting in office right now. They've only been there for a few meetings. This, some of them have been there before. This is something that has been passed on and passed on and passed on. There have been reports. Jasper Kajaski has been on your show. He's done reports on what could happen with that area. For this thing to get fixed, once and for all, and when I say fixed, I mean a solution to this, you first have to have some kind of plan about what is the future of that area. Now, there's another piece in the paper today that I actually wrote with Michael Andlauer, the owner of the Bulldog, yeah. and he's been pushing for a plan. Just tell us what the plan is, and then we can have a private par- uh, public partnership of some kind. We can work together. We can, you know, the thing has been thrown out there, Bill, for well, a good year, year and a half now of, listen, what if you give a private investor or a private group or private groups the vertical rights, they call it above? So we can build condos, maybe a 30-story condo tower. I then, as a private investor, can make my money. In exchange for that, you give me that plot of land, and I will build you a brand-new state-of-the-art arena and convention center. So as a city, it doesn't cost you anything. You get your new arena, you get your new convention center, I get my money and my profit from building the condo towers, we have more people in the area, higher density. It seems to be a a, a solution to a problem. And Lauer today in the paper was talking about in Montreal, that's exactly what's happened around the Bell Center. We see that, I know you were on your show just not a couple days ago, I was listening in, and you were talking about Ottawa. Yeah, the Lansdowne area in Ottawa, yeah. Same thing, same thing. It, It is a, it's a situation, it's a solution that has been proven to work elsewhere. And and Anlauer's position that he said to me in today's paper is, look, Montreal was able to do this from nothing, from parking lots to three giant condo towers with huge density and building uh, businesses popping up and restaurants and stores and everything else in eight years. Why can't Hamilton do that? Well, this is, and as, as you were talking about this, I read your piece this morning and in the spec, and it reminded me of a conversation, I think it was three years ago that I had with Michael. Actually, you bumped into me that in the hallway just outside Michael's private box that night at the arena. And and we talked at great length during the game uh, about this idea about partnering and trying to find somebody to do this. Uh, and, and Michael wanted to move on it then. And it's the city that's really holding this thing up. There's money out there. There are investors out there. But the city's got to get off their tail and do something about this. And they keep talking the talk, but they're not really moving this thing forward. Sure, and by the way, for the record, I was not in Michael's box that night. No, no, you weren't allowed in. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it, it, is, it is something that is being stalled because of indecision. And so now, uh, yesterday at General Issues Committee, there was this issue brought up. Andrew Dreschel wrote about it earlier. Uh, Glenn Norton, the uh, economic development head for the city, has proposed a new $200,000 study that is going to look it seems maybe once and for all at what are we going to do with these buildings. And again, we're talking not just about the arena, but the convention center, Hamilton Place, 
what are we going to do with these? Because and I, all... I, I talked to the mayor about that the other day, too, and I said, we, when this report's done, this $200,000 report, are you going to stack it on top of the other reports that you've got done that have already told you how crappy these things are? And that's the risk. And so, and so again, going back to the piece in the paper today from, from Michael Andlauer, his comment is, terrific, let's have this report, let's finally get a plan together, but... If this report is simply another report looking into the state of these buildings, save your $200,000. We already know what the state of the buildings is. That does us no good. So hopefully what this report, which apparently I guess is going to get rubber stamped at Council next Wednesday, will do is by June come forward with some plan, some explanation, some design for what we should do, we as the city, what we should do with these buildings. And if the answer that comes out is, which I expect that probably it will be the answer, I would think it would, Bill, is this is too expensive for the public sector right now to handle. We, our best option to do this is exactly what we described before, to, dra- to drag in the private sector, to offer them the opportunity to make their money with condos and, and other stuff, and we get if that's the answer that we get in June, great. Let's now then not say exactly what you just did. All right, we'll put this on the back burner and consider this. We've got other things. I want to ruminate on this one for all. No, no. If this is what comes in, bite the bullet. Even though it may not be the utopian answer, it sounds like it is by far the best answer that anyone has come up with that I've heard so far. And do it, because if you're waiting for another three or five or seven years for someone to come up with an even better answer, by then I guarantee you the arena will be broken down and will be falling apart, and then you will be forced into something. And you were on council, Bill, and you know business. The worst position for a city, for a business, for anyone to be in is when you have no options because something has happened and you're forced into making a decision. Make the decision while you have the choice. Look, and, and that's that's the problem that, that I have, and I think an awful lot of other people have. And this is, by the way, this is not a hockey story. This is about city infrastructure and the fact that they have not put the money into this over the years uh, that they should have. And and I understand b- budget limitations and all these guys and people that want to get reelected keep knocking on doors and saying, I'm going to keep your taxes low. Well, this is this is part of the problem. And I, listen, I'm, I'm a taxpayer too. I, I'm sure I get this idea about lower taxes. But if you don't use the money wisely and if you don't spend it on things like this, this is when you run into problems. And and this is this is now you know the, the the broken escalator and the broken elevator those were embarrassments. This is an essential thing where this arena becomes essentially a non-starter. And if the Bulldogs have to move out, and, and uh, that's not imminent, but it still could happen because the city themselves have even said that this chilling system is what they call end of life. In other words, it's going to fail sooner than later, probably sooner. So now we're into a situation where if they have to move out. We know what happened when the Tiger Cats had to go to Guelph. There were yep. lawsuits back and forth, and there were costs. And then I, I don't. Michael Andelar doesn't want to get down that road. I know the city doesn't want to get down that road. Do something about it now. Well, and one other thing, Bill, and that is, you just talked about how there are people, and many people, and I completely understand and I share their views in large measure that we don't want the city spending tons and tons and tons of money on entertainment venues. That doesn't seem to be the city's role. It shouldn't be anyway. And those same people, many of them, the very same people who are the loudest arguers against the city spending money on these type of things, 
are the ones who are also yelling loudest for higher density in the downtown, more housing in the downtown, build up the downtown, more tax base in the downtown. If you do what is being proposed by Ann Lauer, by Jasper Kajafsky, by the Carmen's group, by a bunch of others, you kill two birds with one stone. You put condos, you put housing in the downtown, you bring people down there, you lead to spin-off industries, and you get your new facilities for either free from a public standpoint or for a vastly from the public purse discounted cost because the private sector is covering a, covering a huge part of it. It seems to be, again, unless someone out there who has decided for reasons that we don't understand that they've got the magical solution but are holding on to it and not wanting to tell anyone there's a better one, seems to be the best solution, what we have right now. And, and so we're working two different things here on the same track, though. And, and you're talking long-term, and that's one of the things council has to decide, you're, and you're absolutely right. But the short-term here is this is this chilling system, the ice-making system. Yes. Now, the estimate I saw, is to, just to fix that one element, that one thing, is about $7 bucks. Yep. Uh, and yep. I know that some councillors are going to look at this and say, well, look, at if we might decide to tear this thing down, do we really want to invest $7 bucks in it and then have to tear it down? You don't have any choice at this stage. And whose fault is it that you didn't fix it and now it's going to cost $7 bucks? If this was looked after years ago, this, wouldn't, this discussion wouldn't even be happening. This is a cost that they're stuck with, and they're going to have to do something about it. Well, th- yes, you're right, uh, with one small caveat, and that would be, as you mentioned, this is not a- an imminent thing. It-, it could be, but likely it's got a few years left before it is really in dire, dire, dire straits. If you make a decision on this plan, and you can get started on something now, theoretically, you don't have to repair this because you could keep it going until the new place is ready. What you, the, the worst case scenario, Bill, is, again, more delays, more indecision. Now the ice plant goes, but you still haven't got any kind of plan for what the long-term solution is. So you have to put the $7 million bucks in, and then a year later, council votes and says, we're going to do the new downtown entertainment district plan, new arena, and that $7 million bucks, poof, gone into the wind. Which may be the course of action they're going to have to take. It's, it's, it's frustrating, I know, and, and as, as, as frustrating it is for you and I to talk about this, uh, and, and for you know, taxpayers, actually, to have to, to make this decision. Uh, it's it's got to be frustrating for guys like Michael Andlar, too, who's already invested an awful lot of money into this, and the city just hasn't really held up their end. What we're going to see, I'm going to do a break here in a couple of seconds, Scott, and I'm going to talk with Brad Clark, uh, who's got some perspective on this from the city council uh, side of things anyway. Thanks so much for jumping in today. Appreciate it. Anytime, Bill. Scott Radley, of course. You can hear him tonight, 6 o'clock on the Scott Radley Show. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. So uh, with the uh, repair problems, and it's it's pretty long list, of course, at First Ontario Centre and, and some of the other facilities that uh, City Council is facing with, there is, as we would mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, uh, on the same track, uh, what's the long-term plan going to be for these facilities? Well, they talked about it at City Hall yesterday, and uh, Ward 9 Councilor Brad Clark came up with an idea that uh, got the support of uh, uh, most of the people that uh, that were there, and I think it's a, a kind of a visionary look at what we need to go. So I wanted to get uh, Councillor Clark on here. So we welcome uh, Brad Clark back to the program to outline what's going on. Brad, thanks for the time. Good to have you with us today. My pleasure. Anytime, Bill. Maybe we can start off uh, by, by uh, outlining exactly what you proposed yesterday. So I, I proposed an amendment um, to the report uh, that would direct staff to uh, review all options of divestment, uh, change of ownership, which would not, which which would include the market value of the properties, the land itself, and the air rights above the property, 
as well as a projected um, tax base from that type of motion. So they'll come back with options on finance models, on mortgages, and all those things that we could actually entertain where the private sector ends up buying the properties, owning the properties, and then the financing would be coming back to the city. Um, and ultimately, these properties would end up providing a significant increase to our tax base. Because there are some questions that uh, that I, I guess we want to nail down here and answer. Maybe the most obvious mm-hmm. one, Brad, should the city even be in the entertainment business? I, I don't believe they should. I've, I've never felt comfortable with that. Uh, for example, the convention center, the convention center... Uh, owned by the city of Hamilton, provides banquets and, and, and things like that, and we're competing against the private sector in that very same business. Now, the model has changed. We have a hybrid model where we have private sector operators, um, but the fact of the matter is uh, we're still paying subsidies on, on these properties, and we want to eliminate that and simply concentrate on our core businesses, which really helps us to keep the taxes low for our citizens. And that's the reality, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I and I applaud the fact that City Council has looked at uh, professionals to come and manage these facilities. But as you say, when there's a repair thing, like the First Ontario Centre, uh, the bill goes to 71 Main Street West, <laughs> and you guys are going to have to deal with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I look at it no different than we've been hearing about residential apartment buildings across the city where owners are are coming forward and, and struggling with um, above guideline increases on rent because they're trying to modify or repair very old buildings. So in essence, Hamilton is the landlord for First Ontario Place, for the concert hall, for the convention center. And, and, and uh, as a result, those capital costs are our responsibility and not the operators. So if we look at a, a, a program where we actually sell these properties outright, we can provide due diligence for for the the purchasers um i think the real win will be the air rights because if a developer is looking at them for the long term the return on investment is will be quite significant if you're looking at maximum a 30 story tower above the concert hall and and this is why i I, well i've changed my opinion on on what council was going to do when i talked to mayor eisenberger about this in the early part of the week brad i don't know if you heard our conversation but i was skeptical about this because i thought like we don't need another report we already know the status and we know what the possible alternatives are, but your amendment to this, I think, focuses it a lot more on what can happen here, uh, and and looks at other options instead of you know these astounding repair bills that we've got right now. An idea of bringing somebody else, not just to manage these facilities, but to own them. Now, I don't know if you recall, but about 18, 20 years ago, I remember a city council motion that essentially sent staff away and said, "Find out if somebody wants to buy these places," and nobody. Nothing. Crickets. But that's a different time. It's not the arena itself that's going to attract the investors. It's the other possibilities that, that could exist downtown. And that's what's really uh, a key to, to the motion that I put forward. I really believe that the air rights add significant benefit and return, potential return on investment for um, any developer. And we're, we're living in an era where there are consortiums that come together, four or five different companies, and there are pension funds that put investments in place for long-term return on investment. So by adding the air rights, we're actually, um, we should be creating an opportunity for a significant private sector investment. Uh, the taxpayers get their money for the value of the buildings that are there. So I talked about market value. Um, but beyond that, um, we can sell the air rights, which would be a higher value for us, and the return on investment for the 
for for the the developers is always a long term investment when you're looking at apartment buildings. I, I I know that a lot of people want to reference the Ottawa area, the Lansdowne Park area, but and I know it gets a little redundant, but it is very apt, I think, to this discussion. I don't know if you've seen the redevelopment that's gone on up there, Brad, but I went up to Ottawa a number of different times to go follow the Tiger Cats at the old Lansdowne, and it was old, it was tired, it was a kind of a decrepit area of town. Uh, I had an opportunity to talk a few years ago with two of the major developers that uh, got involved with the city on what they have done there now. And essentially they told me, you know, he says the stadium's a throw-in. He said, that, that, you know, forget that. It's the other development where we're going to make money. And it's gorgeous. I mean, there are condos there. There's a huge commercial area. This is all brand new. And the stadium, as they said, is, is okay, you guys, you can have that. Because we're going to make all our money doing this. And I, you, you're right, these people are out there right now. Uh, we've simply got to run the flag up here and say, hey, we're open for business to do something like that. And I, and I think the motion um, and on all of this started with Councillor Marula's motion to look at divesting of these properties, which I guess was two or three years ago now. Um, but the amendment makes it very clear. So we're not looking at all of the different options where we're still paying subsidies into these buildings. We're looking at clear divestment of the properties and all of the potentials to maximize the return on investment to the city, because we've, we've run these buildings for a long time. We're no longer responsible for any of the repairs. Uh, and we now get something brand new, which we don't have currently, Bill, and I know you're aware of this, is the tax base. Yep. So you can imagine the tax base on a concert hall um, with a bunch of restaurants around it and then above it a 30-story tower, the convention center and a 30-story tower. The potential tax base there is significant, um, and it really does help us bring the, that density intensification to the downtown core. And and that's the attraction there, isn't it? I mean, you know, Brad Clark does not want to buy an, an hockey arena. I mean, what's enough for Brad Clark? But if you say, hey, Brad, you can build condo towers and, and commercial outlets there, too. you figure okay, the money I'm going to make, the taxes I'm going to pay, there are just a, 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 a small little incident, incidental thing. It's it's not going to be much of a factor to anybody. Uh, so I, this, I, this I makes all sorts of sense. Absolutely. I was saying to one of my colleagues right after we had that vote, I have no doubt in my mind that ears perked up around the country in terms of the potential here and they and developers and investment funds will be watching because this is a, a significant opportunity this is a, an interesting time and and i'm glad you brought that element of this up because we've heard this to be the case in other situations uh you say well who's going to be interested you'd be surprised who's out there right now and, and the, the one element that that i think that is worth exploring here and you talked about that with your motion are pension funds whether it's yes. the teacher's pension fund or, or a number of other ones right now these places all have tons and tons of money, and they're looking for ways to invest it. They don't want it just sitting in the bank. So they're, they're open for business. They're looking for opportunities like you're describing now. Uh, they, they are, uh, and, and if you, I mean, I, I, I pride myself on paying attention to, to what's happening in other municipalities in North America. There is a significant interest um, in municipalities who are concentrating on doing their core business and anything that falls outside of it, divesting it. And, and if you frame it correctly, when you talk about the potential added return on investment, not just about the building, because the building, as you know, the concert center, the convention center, and the Coliseum, it only has so much return on investment. You only get so many concerts. You only get so many conventions. But if you add the added benefit of the air rights to the mix, and you work with those developers, you're going to see a significant opportunity um, for uh, cash coming into the city. 
What's the time frame on this? Uh, are we still looking at maybe springtime before you get some further information on this? That's my hope. Um, I, I don't see this as a, as a, you know, five years from now we'll be talking about it still. I, I think there's really an impetus around the table to move forward. I think, to be quite candid, the potential repair bills that are there um, may be underestimated, and everyone is aware that every day that goes by, those bills can increase. So uh, we really want to, to get out to the private sector for options as, as quickly as possible. It's a different time. You've talked about some of the potential fundings and, and, and the opportunities that are there, and those are significant. But the other reality that, that council has to face, whether it's well a football stadium or anything else, is uh, senior levels of government do not invest in these things anymore. I mean, there was a t- I guess actually the federal government kicked in money for Cops Coliseum way back in the day. Uh, and I know that they were invested in, in the Tim Horton Field Project for the Pan Am Games, but that was because it was for the Pan Am Games. So you're not going to get any money from anybody else. It really is the private sector that's going to have to come to the rescue here. You're uh, 100% correct. Uh, I have uh, reached out and spoken with, with ministers and MPs and MPPs um, and federally and provincially, there is no interest. And that's not just unique in Ontario. It's right across the country. Uh, they're not interested in, in using provincial or federal tax dollars on these types of projects. And they, they, all of them have said, why aren't you looking at this? So it's, we're a little bit slow to the table, but we're there now, and, and I, I think we will get significant traction. Brad, has anybody on, on city staff had any indication as to what the uh, the tax implications would be? As you mentioned, the the minute this stuff is is owned by the private sector, and we could look at all three facilities, but just that district around the uh, the arena right now, uh, th- there's got to be a I'm not going to call it a windfall, but a significant increase in revenue for the city as soon as that individual or that, that consortium or whatever it's going to be starts paying property taxes. At the moment, we don't know. I did ask that question. I I I was a little bit disappointed that. Um, no one had asked for market value assessments on the three properties, so we don't have the market value. And um, I asked about even, even just to punt on the the potential uh, for uh, increase in tax base, and they didn't have that. So that's why the, the motion was crafted in such a way that we will get those numbers. So, because that's obviously got to be factored into this equation, too, if you're going to start looking at a balance sheet and how this is going to go. Are you optimistic that you've got, I know you had council support to get this report done, but uh, when push comes to shove and they're going to have to make a decision, I guess uh, the next step, and I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, would I guess be a request for uh, interest, uh, expressions of interest to see who's out there? I think once the councillors received the report on different options that may be available, what the actual market values of the properties would be, um, what the potential increase in, in sale price would be for the air rights, and then the, the corresponding potential for tax base for you know um, the towers, I think they're going to realize pretty quickly that getting out of the business, we're no longer subsidizing, and receiving this, this, this increase to, to, to our budget from the sale will be significant. But what they'll really be pleased about is the increase in tax base, because right now these properties are prime downtown locations, and because they're owned by the city, no one's paying taxes on them. What about ancillary uh, results on this, too? I mean, let's talk about the area, not just the arena, uh, you know, with property, so that, that piece of property, but uh, some of the other potentials, I guess, for that downtown area. The economic uplift from two towers, just assume they're going to have First Ontario and the Convention Centre end up with two towers, 
I'm not sure how it will work with with the Coliseum or what the what size the arena will even be, or uh, that remains to be seen. Just the economic uplift from having that type of density increase in downtown, it will spur other investment with new restaurants, new entertainment facilities. Um, it, it, it's it's an automatic. Uh, so I'm hoping that we actually see that from from the staff report that. Not only do we get the return on the investment for the city in the long term, we now actually are, see a significant increase in tax base. And then on top of that, you have all of the added entertainment brought to the downtown. I mean, I hear from people all the time, Hamilton's kind of unique after 7 o'clock, nothing's happening. Whereas in other municipalities like Toronto, the city's alive for many hours after 7 o'clock with entertainment. Um, this would spur that type of interest. I, I'm wondering uh, even the broader picture too. I mean, let's you know. I, I understand the Jackson Square situation is 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 going to be in, at some point. It's going to be part of this discussion as well. But there's always been some concern ever since this thing opened back in the early 1970s about the long term viability and, of course, the Stelco Tower too. But I guess uh, we'd be speculating to, to anything about what might or might not happen there. It's really going to be up to the private sector individuals and what they might propose. I would think. Uh, correct. Uh, with um, one proviso, the secondary plan does not provide any opportunity for a casino. <laughs> you figure that's going to come up in the conversation? I have no doubt in my mind. So um, we, it was discussed really quickly yesterday, and, and I know the secondary plan doesn't allow it. So let's just take it off the table, and then we don't have to entertain proposals of a potential casino. There's lots of other things that you can do in downtown uh, and in this area that is not predicated upon gambling. Is, is you surprised that actually came up in the conversation? Because I pretty much thought that ship had already sailed, and they figured, okay, fine, it's not going to happen. I was surprised, but I, there there is still a small minority in the community that are concerned that there's a hidden agenda to bring in a casino. And, and I can tell you from my standpoint, none of the councillors have, have ever approached me about it, have ever talked about it. Um, I think everyone here around the table here uh, believes that we've already made that decision. We're, we're not looking at a casino. Uh, not only that, I think it would be uh, highly unlikely that you'll ever have the province agreeing to it. So let's not even enter that discussion. Let's look at what you can do without that. So that's the one proviso that I would put out there. Yeah, because I know there's been a change of government, and, and they may have looked at that as an opportunity. But even some of the proponents that were proposing this uh, eight or ten years ago uh, when it, it seemed as if it was going to be a possibility at that time, uh, have told me that, you know, we, we're not even there anymore. We, we've we're looking at, we got other projects now. So uh, I, I, you're probably right. I'm sure somebody's going to raise the idea, and it's going to be talked about. But uh, you're right. I think there are just far too many obstacles at this stage right now, even from the provincial government, uh, to, to move forward on something like that. Yeah, my goal was to really eliminate any impediments to the discussion. Let's look at all of the options that are available for divestment, and let's move the stick forward. Councilman really did a marvelous job of getting this on the table. Initially, we, you know, we divested ourselves of HECFI. That was the first thing that happened. Um, and then he, he came forward with the proposal that we actually look at uh, selling the properties, um, and it kind of stalled for a couple of years. So we've now clarified that. I know Councilman Rule is very happy about it. And staff are very happy about the direction, and this gives them something really to work with that would benefit the city. If this works out, and let's have fingers crossed here that, that you are successful in this endeavor, uh, does it open up a discussion about other city-owned facilities that may actually uh, follow the same way? Um, 
You know me well, Bill. I'm not one to speculate, <laughs> so I don't know. But you also it's say never possible. say never. Correct. It's possible uh, to be completely candid, um, but I, I wouldn't want to speculate that that would be an ongoing thing that we'd be looking at. Well, let's uh, go past uh, step one before we start going down step five, six, and seven, I suppose. Maybe that's the best way <laughs> exactly. to do this. Brad, thanks so much for this. Good luck with it, and I'm sure we'll be in touch as uh, this rolls out. Thanks again for thanks, the, the time today. No it's, problem. Ward 9 Council Brad Clark with his idea about uh, looking at the idea of private sector partners and more development downtown. Yes, that's exactly what we should be looking at right now. And uh, I look forward to those numbers and see just who's going to be out there. Because uh, we have seen this in other areas. And it's uh, been incredible to see some of the, the rejuvenation that's happened because of that. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. The uh, Grey Cup game and festival, and it's a festival now, uh, hasn't been in Hamilton since uh, 1996. Um, yeah, it's it's been a while. But uh, we may be closer, of course, as we know, the uh, city of Hamilton and the Hamilton Tiger Cats are talking about a bid and putting a bid together, and they've already done that, for the 2020 Grey Cup. Now, the game has not yet been awarded, but City Council talked about it yesterday with uh, the Tiger Cats and the CFL commissioner who showed up for the meeting and had something to say. Matt Afanek is the president and COO of business operations for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He uh, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to bring us up to speed. Matt, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Always, it's always great to be on with you, Bill. Thanks well, for having me. Well, this is an exciting time because I know we've been talking about this ever since the idea of a new stadium, and that's going back quite a few years now. Uh, we got all that other stuff out of the way, uh, and and you know, the 2020 game is is uh, in the, the crosshairs right now. Now, it's, this is not ours uh, to, to have, I mean, because there's two other cities that are bidding for this game, too, isn't there? Yeah, so the um, you know the CFL went to a competitive bid process bill on Grey Cup, as you know, uh, a few years back, and, and, and you're accurate in saying there are two other markets uh, in pursuit of the 2020 Grey Cup. Uh, those are publicized as, obviously, Saskatchewan, Regina, uh, and Montreal, and Hamilton. So uh, we are in a competitive competitive bid process for the game, and uh, and uh, we're working towards uh, the formal submission of that bid, and, and yesterday was a, a pretty big milestone and a very positive milestone uh, in that pursuit. By the way, I want to clear something up because I saw some of the comments on social media and, and there were some concerns being raised at the time, Matt, that, well, how come there's a lot of confidential stuff that's being talked about behind closed doors? And I just want to remind people that this this is a bid process. I mean, you can't come out and, and say, here are our numbers because Montreal and Saskatchewan are going to look at those too and maybe alter their bids. I mean, that's why you have to do some of this stuff confidentially. Yeah, absolutely, Bill, and, you, and you've, you've hit the nail on the head that within the actual bidding process, there's you know there's a reason for confidentiality. There's there's frankly numerous reasons uh, for confidentiality, but I think it's uh, you know it's important or important for the listeners to hear that you know the Hamilton Tiger Cats are are um, you know participating in a bid process as defined by the Canadian Football League. It, it is not ours or the City of Hamilton's process relative. Uh, to what we have to follow. So um, we're just following what's been instructed by the league and, and confidentiality, not just with regards to numbers, but, you know, kind of some of the finer details of your bid is, the, is a requirement of those bids. And, um, you know, if what you've seen and heard from the bids coming from other markets, you've seen the same level of confidentiality. So we have to respect that in our in our larger pursuit to uh, deliver uh, this game back to Hamilton. Well, and we went through the same process back when I was on council and we were bidding for the, the Canadian Open uh, to be at Hamilton Golf and Country Club. Uh, which, by the way, is going to happen again this year. But but we had to be, and I, people were saying, well, how come you guys aren't being open and honest about that? I said, you'll see the numbers in time, but we can't do this until you win the bid. And and I'm, I'm sure that the, the processes that unfolds here, Matt, will be the same way. If Hamilton is successful in this bid process, then you can lay stuff on the table and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's how much it's going to cost. 
Yeah, I think ultimately that uh, that is something we're working towards with the Canadian Football League ourselves and, and the city. And, you know, I think, though, it's, it's, it's important to, um, you know, kind of bring up, Bill, as it relates to the dollars um, and cents here. You know, the manner in which that was established was, was a very cooperative partnership process between the club uh, and Tourism Hamilton, who's leaving, leading the file uh, um, for the city. So, you know, it was less about dollars and cents and more about requirements in terms of what the city could deliver in, in, uh, as a part of our bid. So things like, you know, venues and services um, and obviously getting Tim Hortons Field uh, Grey Cup ready in terms of uh, its, its size and capacity. So, you know, those things have numbers associated with them ultimately, but, you know, from a, from a Tiger Cat perspective, those numbers are not ours. Those are the city's. So you alluded to it earlier, whether it's golf, CCMA, other factors. This, the city has a very sophisticated process, tourism, and that is, with regards to how they attach values to these things. And, and ultimately, we've developed all of that in, in, a, in a great spirit of cooperation. Now, and again, we, which is the reason why we can't get too far into the details here. I mean, that, that's to be done at a, at a future date. We get that. But, but let's talk about this uh, in a in a broader context, if we could, Matt. And you just talked about the stadium itself uh, and the capacity, which I know is something that was discussed with uh, you and the councillors yesterday. Uh, the, ca- the capacity of, uh, of Tim Horton Field right now is about 24,000, give or take a few. Uh, obviously, that's not sufficient for a Grey Cup, so extra seating is going to have to be added, as it has with other stadiums. Now, uh, and again, we haven't seen the blueprints for this, but obviously you guys have addressed this problem. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's actually not a problem at all. It's a it's a great opportunity, Bill, because Tim Hortons Field by design creates multiple ways for us to accomplish this. Listen, we we presented uh, in again that confidential bid in in the city staff report that tourism built and was delivered to council uh, that they reviewed yesterday included um, you know kind of an appendix from from the organization with regards to some specifics about our bid, uh, and that included some vision to seating. So listen, there's there's multiple ways. We have plans to get Tim Hortons Field to up to 35,000 seats. Uh, there's no stated capacity these days for Grey Cup in terms of size and requirement. But if you look at the Ottawa Grey Cup, the Toronto Grey Cup over the course of the last two of the last three years, you've kind of been in that 33, 34, 35 range. So yeah. we have a plan to get Tim Hortons Field to 35,000 seats. The beauty of, of the facility, the way it was built, the way it was designed, is there's lots of ways to do that, right? So there's, there's you know, clearly we're going to need some temporary seats. Where we put those temporary seats, there is some flexibility to that. And, and you know, I'd remind the listeners that, um, you know, while temporary seats might seem complex, you know, we built a, a temporary facility in partnership with some great um, builders and, and vendors uh, up in Guelph uh, on, on the side of a grass hill, right? So temporary seating is very flexible and can go in various forms and formats. I think the important message in this, though, is, you know, the, the modern sports business and certainly the Tiger Cat business at, at Tim Hortons Field is way more about experience than it is about just getting as many people uh, into the venue as possible. So focusing on a great fan experience for uh, Grey Cup uh, and perhaps looking at it a little bit differently is at the core of our bid. Uh, you heard the commissioner talk about that both live in, in council chambers yesterday, but subsequently in the media as well, of how impressed him and the bid committee were about the creativity uh, of the Hamilton bid and how we envision delivering that on game day. So similar to the disclosure around, you know, um, asks and such, you know, the time will come if we're fortunate enough to win this bid where all of this stuff will be uh, um, made uh, made public and, and announced with great fanfare, and, and we're excited to do that. But where we are in the process right now is we're trying to win the bid. Exactly. Exactly. And, and by the way, people should remember as well that uh, the, the footprint itself of where the stadium is located, you got a lot of room there. So there's a lot of flexibility, isn't there? 
Yeah, there is. And, and you know, uh, the the word we hear you use most often in the industry is, is the traveling fan, right? So the, the notion that um, there's a real trend, especially, frankly, amongst younger people, that the desire to be upwardly mobile at a sporting event, perhaps not being confined to a seat, is, is quite attractive. And listen, that's not a Hamilton phenomenon. Uh, that's an industry and, and a sports phenomenon. We're just fortunate here to have a great facility that, that enables that. We have 360-degree viewing all the way around the building, and that creates certain opportunities. So, again, that would be transferable on a Grey Cup scale. But again, there, there, there's going to have to be temporary seats to get us up to the capacity number we require to win the bid. Okay, and, and if Hamilton is successful, let's, let's talk about the, the greater picture here once again, Matt. Uh, that's the game. That's Sunday. That's game day. So everybody's going to gravitate to the stadium for the game itself, which hopefully the Cats will be in and win. But that aside, this is a festival, and, and we need to talk about that. I mean, because some people are, are, are categorizing this as, hey, Cam wants the Grey Cup game. Well, certainly they do. But this thing, it's really a week-long festival, and, and uh, it really – I've been to a, the last few, as, as you know. We've talked about this on the, on the show in the past. Uh, it, it, it's something that just captivates the whole city. It, there's a vibrancy to this that goes on well before the football game is even played on Sunday. Yeah, there is, Bill, and you know, you and I have have spoke about this. But since we spoke last, we uh, we made a trip out to Edmonton, as as, as you yep. know, for uh, for the 2018 Grey Cup. And, and listen, that uh, that event was uh, bar raising for our league. It was outstanding. Uh, the organizing group out there, and this is kind of the part of the spirit that the commissioner alluded to this yesterday. Of the part of the purpose for the bid is is to keep make sure that uh, us as CFL clubs are continuing to work hard at this to raise the bar. And the group in Edmonton did nothing short of that. And I think one of the great benefits that we saw at the festival in Edmonton that we know is transferable here to Hamilton, and, and you and I have discussed this in the past, is this notion of density, the notion of density of events, the notion of density of facilities to host those events. Hamilton as a market has um, phenomenal facilities between the convention center, the arena, in terms of their proximity, density, uh, amongst other things, from Augusta Street and, and, and James Street North and King William and all the restaurant circuits. So we saw that in Edmonton, and, and they approached their festival a little bit differently in 2018 uh, than they did last time they hosted it in 2010. And what we saw in that was just a more compact festival site, and it was met with, with really great enthusiasm. So, you know, that was one of the learnings we saw from, uh, from out in Edmonton, and, and a lot of them we would transfer uh, to our vision for the event here, but uh, you, you nailed it. It's a festival, not a game. Well, and it and it captivates the downtown core. I mean, this is not centric around the stadium itself. I mean, there are going to be events around the stadium uh, as you get closer. Uh, you know, in Ottawa a couple of years ago, of course, they had that the big hall right across there. Toronto did similarly. So, and, and that's mm-hmm. that's something. But it's uh, you just nailed it. You talk about Augusta Street, Hess Village, uh, a number of venues like that, uh, Restaurant Road down around King William. Uh, those are the places that are going to benefit from hu- hugely from this because of the influx of people that are going to come into town. Yeah, no, for the, you know, between twenty and 30,000 out-of-market visitors will come in for Grey Cup, and no matter how creative and, and um, you know, frankly, tactical we are with our event planning, you know, traditional Grey Cup things like the Spirit of Edmonton or the Calgary Pancake Breakfast or, you know, Touchdown Manitoba or any of these great fixtures um, of, of Grey Cup Festival weekend, no matter how good we are with those, Bill, there's a constituency that will participate in that, but quickly move to what are the great local establishments, what are the great local bars. You don't try to compete with that. You try to facilitate that, right? And that's a great part of, of bringing the event to the local market that, that you know, local 
um, small business or business owners benefit from this. So no matter what happens, given the influx of people, bars are full, restaurants are full, hotels are full, the streets are vibrant. And remember, we're doing, you know, Grey Cup happens at a time of year that, you know, we had a wonderful November this year in terms of weather, and we'd be hopeful to have another wonderful November in, in uh, 2020. But, you know, November in Canada isn't always the, uh, the best time of year in terms of weather. So to have that tourism influx and all of those things full, that's another, you know, kind of understated great benefit of Grey Cup Festival. Well, as long as it isn't minus 35 like it was in Winnipeg a couple of years ago when we were there for Grey Cup, that was a little... But my, having said that, the streets were alive. I mean, it was just crazy to see oh, yeah. people going back and forth. And I remember talking well, when we landed there, I think it was about 7 or 8 degrees when we took off from Toronto, and I think it was minus 35 in downtown Winnipeg when we got there. And I remember texting Leo Ezrin's, uh, our good friend, of course, from the CFL alumni. And of course, Leo's from Winnipeg. And I said, it's, it's cold. And he said, yeah, there's a bit of a nip. There's a nip in the air. But, but, but it didn't seem to dull anybody's enthusiasm for the festival. In fact, it was just crazy down there. And, and, and this is one of the things that I know that, that you talked about and, and that CFL commissioner, uh, Randy Ambrosi, who was at the meeting yesterday, talked about. And by the way, uh, it's kind of a cool idea. I know that we're still in a bid process with Montreal and, and Regina. But the fact that the commission was there yesterday to talk about the benefits, I think, was a, a big plus to kind of get this thing moving. Yeah, and it was it was uh, extremely um, courteous of, of Commissioner Ambrosi to come at, at Bob's request, obviously. But you know, I think it demonstrates the value of Hamilton as a Canadian football community. And you know, the, the commissioner uh, he works for all nine teams, not for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But at the same time, you know, he was here yesterday to make sure that council saw and, and the community here saw. Um, you know the CFL seriousness about our community. Um, it's its capability to host Grey Cup. If you heard what what the commissioner said, he talked at length about how ready he believes our community is to host this event. Um, and and you know, listen, I think uh, his presence here was was symbolic, but but real in that he uh, you know he wants us to be successful. But at the same time, as Bob said in his video remarks, he's you know Randy's got a job to do and uh, make sure that this event goes to the right place. But uh, everyone in our league commissioner, other clubs we spend time with. Everyone's pretty bullish about the Hamilton market. We've got some great things going on here as a community, as a city. You know, obviously our facility on game day is, is something special, but uh, there's real buzz around the Canadian Football League about Hamilton, about our community, and you know, that obviously would translate to Grey Cup. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time. Well, and I think Bob put it very uh, aptly. Uh, Bob was not there yesterday. The caretaker had business uh, uh, arrangements someplace else and couldn't make it, but he was there by video for those that, that didn't uh, see the, the coverage on this. Uh, and uh, he says, be nice to Randy, meaning in the CFL commissioner, Randy Ambrose. He says, but keep in mind that we're selling Randy just as much as he's selling us uh, because they haven't made a decision yet. So, I mean, you know, the, the work here is not done, clearly. No, there's still work to do. And, and you know, Randy spoke about this um, yesterday that, that, you know, kind of the next milestone is towards the end of the month of January. There's a CFL Board of Governors meeting where his goal is to, to make a recommendation, assuming that uh, all the details are in place from the respective bids. So, you know, when this all started with the kind of the initial inquiry at Council uh, immediately there before Christmas up till now, we've been working on an accelerated timeline. And again, kudos to the city and, and Tourism Hamilton for working on that timeline. Um, so it's not our timeline, it's the CFL's timeline, but it's, uh, it's a bit accelerated. So I guess the benefit, excuse me, in all of this is uh, the fact that we're not too far off of a decision, um, and the commissioner spoke to that yesterday. And partnership, and I know that that was a word that was uh, used an awful lot yesterday, and, and partnership meaning also the city of Hamilton. And I'm, I, I would be crazy to start making predictions about this, but uh, I talked to a number of people that attended the meeting yesterday, Matt, and uh, they seem to, to feel pretty 
good about the, the reception that you got from Hamilton Council. They, I know there were some questions about this, that, and the other thing, and I know they discussed it behind closed doors after you guys did your presentation, but uh, they were saying there was a pretty positive vibe in the council chamber about this whole idea. We certainly felt that way, and, and listen, we, uh, we, we absolutely respect the role um, that the council plays and has to play on behalf of the citizens of our city. That that we we accept that and and we're fully prepared to answer uh, whatever hard questions they have. I think you know we felt a great spirit of cooperation. But like Bill, that's uh, you know kind of day to day. That's the spirit of cooperation we feel with the city and the city staff every single day. We work with them. You know they are you know our landlord here at Tim Hortons Field. They are our partner in helping deliver events on the Grey Cup file. They're our partner in helping out build out the vision. So you know our interaction with the city. Uh, city staff and, and obviously council less frequently, but you know city staff is is an incredibly positive one because they are hands down one, atop the list of partners in our business and who we require to be have a great working relationship with to be successful. So you know I think that was on more public display yesterday than it might be on a day to day basis. But we have a phenomenal working relationship with the city and the city staff. I'm just going over some of the uh, the notes of, of past games that uh, that we've attended and fast festivals and and you talk about the influx of people and obviously the impact it's going to have on restaurants uh, and hotels, things of this nature. Uh, but the corporate support for the game is phenomenal. I mean, the, 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 the amount of potential income for the community here uh, is, is crazy. Uh, that, the, it's just, it's just a, they used to say, you know, this was the, a big national event, a big national party, but it's really done that. I mean, there were some, some pretty, you know, lean days for the, for the league end for the, uh, the Grey Cup game itself about 20, 25 years ago. But it's amazing how uh, out of that whole system, Matt, this has risen to be like a heck of an event right now. And it's no wonder everybody is, is bidding for this right now because they know the impact it's going to have on the community for about a week. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you can't do these things successfully, Bill, without the, the, the support of the larger business community. And that, that, that frankly manifests itself in many different ways from, you know, obvious things like ticket sales and partnerships, but, you know, bigger things from staff engagement. And, you know, we're going to need thousands of volunteers. Uh, and that was one of the great lessons we saw out, at, out in Edmonton was a lot of their volunteer base to run um, a lot of these free festival events that we'll obviously deliver here in Hamilton. We're all staffed by employees of some of their corporate partners. So, you know, the, the engagement of the business community transcends um, just kind of real commercial things and into really that community spirit. And, you know, I think one of the other benefits of our, of our bid um, that we've spoke about at length with the CFL is, you know, like it's no secret that the Southern Ontario market is in, incredibly important to our league and its teams, right? And just knowing that, you know, the, the larger G, GTHA is, is the corporate capital of Canada and having this vibrant uh, kind of CFL and, and uh, Grey Cup atmosphere happening here in Southern Ontario is, is something that's really important for our league for that corporate reason that you alluded to. So, you know, it has become that. I think there's obviously an opportunity to make that even bigger, um, but that's very much a part of, of one of our strengths of our bid. Well, we're looking forward to it. As you mentioned, just a few weeks from now, the CFL is going to be dealing with this issue, and uh, uh, hopefully we're going to be on the right side of the uh, the decision and uh, can move forward on this. But uh, congrats, I, uh, prematurely, I guess, but congratulations, Matt, to you and all of your partners, including Tourism Hamilton and the city, who've done an awful lot of work on this. And uh, here's hoping. Yeah, as, as we said, there's uh, certainly still work to go and, and work to do, but I appreciate the sentiment, Bill, and uh, we're going to keep our head down and keep working at it and uh, hopefully deliver a favorable result for our city, uh, for our fans, and for the larger community as, as a whole. We'll stay in touch. Thanks again, Matt. Appreciate the time today. My pleasure, Bill. Thank you for the opportunity. Matt Afanek, President and COO on uh, Business Operations, of course, for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The, uh, the bid uh, is there, and uh, the city and uh, Tourism Hamilton and the Tiger Cats, as Matt said, uh, working together, and we'll find out uh, probably in the next three or four weeks. 
The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.